around the world and coast to coast. This is the Phil Nason Show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Phil Nason Show. I'm happy to have you here. We'll be here for as long as it takes. The NBA playoffs are fast approaching like this afternoon for that matter. And we'll get into all that. My friend J.A. Sherman from Welcome to Loud City will be here in just a second. I want to send a big shout out to my sponsors, Bovada and the Dollar Shave Club. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. We are thrilled that you want to be and we are thrilled to represent two great companies such as them. Big shout out to my affiliates, Maximum Sports Channels, Armed Forces Radio, the 405 Media, Baseball Talk Radio, Almighty Baller Radio Network, and Dash Radio. We're really thrilled to that you air our show. Welcome to Loud Cities. J.A. Sherman is on the line. What's up, Doc? Hey, Phil, what is going on? Uh, I, I miss that we don't get a chance to talk as often, so I, I hope you allotted uh, a portion, a good amount of time for us to, to break all this down. Well, I got as long as it takes. This is the podcast right. edition of the Phil Nason Show, and if anybody likes to dispute how many minutes this is, I'll have you talk to my agent lawyer. I'm bringing him out of retirement for this week. I may need him. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he's good. I I think he's fantastic, actually. Um, (laughs) He's a dear friend. And and you know what? I miss talking as often as I do with you because, you know, this used to be a daily thing. Mm -hmm. And now I'm doing local stuff. So, I mean, it's hard to talk about the blunder when we're talking about all these other things. You know, Cleveland sports. They matter to people. Like that defense, dude. I try mm-hmm. to explain to people that, and I wrote this in my column at Peachtree Hoops a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you got to see it or not, but the Cleveland Cavaliers, let me just break it down for you. They're playing against the Indiana Pacers in this series. That begins later today on Saturday. We're recording this in the morning. But since 2004-2005, the Miami Heat are the only team to win a championship with a defensive efficiency rating outside of the top 10. Now, their opponent was the Dallas Mavericks, who also were outside of the top 10. Since then, no one has done it. And prior to that, only three teams, I believe, the Lakers, the Pistons, and I can't remember who the other one is off the top of my head. But the point is, is the Cleveland Cavaliers finished in a 22nd tie with the Brooklyn Nets for defensive efficiency. And since the All-Star break, Sherm, they are... 29th in the NBA, just ahead of the Lakers. Put it in context, I just compared them with Boston. Or not Boston, Brooklyn. (laughs) And the Portland Trailblazers, who don't play any defense at all, are above them. Yeah, I I think the uh, second half of the season really tanked their their defensive intensity. Uh, As you probably know, they think they went 23-23 and over the last 46 games. So basically, 500 ball... um, that said, you know, this is kind of where LeBron James is in his career right now. And uh, and we saw that a little bit uh, with guys like Shaq in the past, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, not, that, not that they necessarily took off the regular season, but they definitely viewed the, po- the postseason as the season to prepare for the most. And so... I mean, who knows what what Ty Lue is trying to do with, with their team in terms of the regular season, but it's over. And, uh, and I think... One of the things that catches my mind immediately is they didn't look great going into the the run last year either, and then suddenly they turned into the best three point shooting team in the playoffs. So um, who knows what kind of magic they're kind of they're going to conjure this year? And hey, maybe they'll figure out how to play top fifteen defense too. Well, they better play better than that because they won't win the championship without it. But you know, um, you talk about their shooting, and last year they hit a lot of threes. This is a team that hit 25 three-pointers against Atlanta just a few weeks ago. I mean, they can shoot, and to be fair, since the All-Star break, they were missing Kevin Love and J.R. Smith for a considerable portion of that. But still, you know, I try to explain to somebody, you know, the Cavs are 0-9 without LeBron James, or 0-8, so whatever it is. without They haven't won a game without LeBron James on the floor. Even the Oklahoma City Thunder wins without Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it's uh, and 
you know, and that's one of the big unknowns that, that they're going to face, um, that even a team like the Warriors might face with, with Durant coming back in the last week of the season, where you just don't know what the chemistry is going to be. And, uh, and fortunately for the Cavs, they do have this galvanizing force of nature in LeBron James. And, and I think his teammates will eventually just kind of fall in line and say, you know, lead us. Um, but until it actually happens, you don't know. And the truth is LeBron is 32 now. He's got a lot of, you know, tread has been taken off those tires. And um, can he do it on both ends of the court when the games really matter? Uh, I think so. But, but we don't know for sure until it actually happens. That's a very good point, too. You know what? We don't know until it happens. That's a very good point. But what kind of chance do you give the Indiana Pacers in this series? Well, they, they've got this whole Paul George thing. That's a weird thing, man, by the way. They, they, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they just have this Paul George thing hanging over them, and it's it's just kind of weird as – you know, if if I just was reading today, if um, if he gets voted as third team in All NBA, uh, the the writers could actually determine uh, whether or not he he is kept as a team. And uh, you know, he's he's been sort of ambivalent towards towards the franchise. They they seem to have gone in a different direction over the past two years. Um, but he's still a potential top ten player. Can he win games by himself? Absolutely. Uh, is is their defense good enough? That that's what I'm not so sure about. They they don't have the same defensive intensity as as they did over the past, and so um, I think game one will really help us set the table as to whether the the Cavaliers are locked in at this point, or if uh, if the Pacers can can take a little bit of that edge off. Well, that's just a good point. Plus, we have a little bit of a delay here on the internet for whatever reason, and that's all good. Just so that you know, out there, okay. folks. But the point is, is this? I think that. Um, Indiana's biggest issue is Paul George. He doesn't really want to be there, it doesn't look like. You know, and here's the thing, too. Since the, all, since the uh, All-Star break and those rumors that they might trade him, he seems like he's not that interested. And maybe he's holding back because he wants to go play for Los Angeles and doesn't want to get hurt wearing a Pacers uniform. Who knows? But they, their defensive int- intensity, that was Frank Vogel. And Frank Vogel's not there anymore. Now they have a different coach. And, and it's really strange how they fire coaches the way they do, especially ones who are doing well and who are getting it done. I like Nate McMillan, don't get me wrong, but Frank Vogel is a pretty good defensive coach. He's an intense guy, too, whereas Nate McMillan may not be so intense or as intense as Vogel is. Maybe his focus and concentration are in different areas. Now, Jeff Teague is a wild card. Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young should eat Kevin Love alive on both sides of the floor. He really should. But will he? And then you got the center spot, Miles Turner, young guy. He's a good player. But can he deal with Tristan Thompson? And how does he go off on Tristan Thompson? I think he does. I'll tell you this. If they don't win game one, they be in the Cavs, they're going to be in monster trouble. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And um, and, and to, to just speaking about Vogel, I love him as a coach, um, but I think he just, he lost the attention of his team. Unfortunately, they had their window; they didn't quite get there uh, in 2013 through 2015. It's unfortunate, uh, but they just seemed to tune him out uh, after that. Uh, as far as McMillan goes, he's kind of a known quantity, and and I just don't see him ever really getting a hump. Um, we we know you know we know he's a, he's a good relatable coach he's he's been around the league forever but uh, is he is he a, a next level coach he hasn't shown it and he may never be able to so I I honestly don't see him gearing up the the Pacers to to pull off any sort of major upset uh, I do agree with Game One it's going to be really the the litmus test as to whether the Pacers show up uh, I don't I don't think that. Um, that Jeff Teague is a big game point guard, to be honest with you, and uh, and he showed that to me two years ago. And it, when the the Hawks had their big run, uh, he just he didn't know how to elevate his game when it really mattered. And so I think he's going to struggle mightily going against Kyrie. That could be, but you know Kyrie doesn't play any defense at all. So it, it is. But you make a good observation, good point. Something that we learned when I was I still host that Hawks show. Jeff Teague's just not a big time player. And if he is, he's got to do it today. And if he doesn't, he's not, you know, he's playing for a contract. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yep, he, right. he, you know, he, he's got to go out there and show people, hey, I am the number one guy somewhere, whether it be Indiana or wherever. And they gave up a lot for him. So I, I would think that uh, he better get his uh, tush in the saddle and get her done. But I don't think they're going to, for all the reasons that you described. Game one is going to be important. Just like game one of the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Houston Rockets. That's going to be a big game. That's Game one is going to be fantastic. But, uh, but before I would get into that, I want to yeah. say this. The NBA dropped yeah. the ball here, dude. Because they've got this NBA MVP award, and it's probably the most contested I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I, you know, they talk about four guys. I've got six. I added Isaiah Thomas and Chris Paul into that mix because they've had mm-hmm. pretty good years too. And you've got these two guys, James Harden, Russell Westbrook squaring off in the first round of the playoffs. The votes have already been cast. Announce that in game before game one or game two, and then you might see something different. You you see, especially because one of those two I think are going to win. I personally think it's Kawhi, but that's just me. But one of those guys are going to win, I think. So what are you gonna? What do you do? You got the other guy saying, "I'm going to show him," and you've got more drama and narrative, and I think that's a good thing. But the NBA apparently doesn't. They'd rather do this show in June when no one's going to be watching. Yeah, I, I really don't understand uh, what what the strategy is uh, because essentially they're either going to look really good or really bad. <laughs> you know, if uh, if Westbrook wins the award, but then he loses in the first round, it's going to take a lot of luster off of off of how they promote it um, because basically people would, will not have been thinking about him for close to two months. Right. Um, you know, and even, even Harden, you know, I, I, I think the Rockets are really good. I don't know if they're necessarily a finals-destined team. Uh, that, that remains to be seen, but yeah, he could be out of the picture as well. Um, and so, as, as a and, and let's face it, the MVP is a marketing tool for the NBA. Um, yeah, there's some there's some money involved, of course, but it's a marketing tool. Um, by by losing one of your biggest names that early on, it it, it definitely hinders what what the league is trying to accomplish. And so, you know, just announce the award early, and then let the let the chips fall where they may. I mean, sure, you may end up with a the whole David Robinson versus Akeem Olajuwon thing back in what '95, uh, where Olajuwon then destroyed Robinson after Robinson won the MVP. It's going to happen, but it's not a bad thing. It actually increases the intrigue for for uh, the the selection and it elevated uh, Olajuwon's game. So it's not it wasn't a bad thing, even though it kind of looked bad for the Spurs. Right. Um, but uh, you know, just get it out there. It's you know the season's over. People are gonna have basically made their picks. Let's just get on with it and then shift our attention to the playoffs, which should be the focus right now. You know, and we had an email exchange. You and I. I'm not going to give out all the details because I was uh, probably not very nice toward others as <laughs> usual. In a private conversation, I probably can be. And you know. Um, this whole thing, this whole voting thing, you know, I, I had a million freaking people send me links to their work, bloggers and such, trying to sway me. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really starting to get old quick. And the other thing is this, is that this whole, and I think I blame Twitter for this, this entire all or nothing. If you don't vote for Russell Westbrook, you're a hater. If mm-hmm. you don't vote for James Harden, you're a hater or whoever. And, and it's really just not fun. It, it, we had six guys. I had a list of six. Mm-hmm. And I can say that I can honestly say that I can't remember when we had that many guys have that great of years. I'm not talking good years. I'm talking great years. Yeah. Where if you gave it to any one of those guys, you probably wouldn't have an argument. Even the players would probably not argue about it too much. But yet people on Twitter are, and they call you a hater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that uh, we we like to fancy ourselves this statistical generation where we care about advanced metrics and we try to poo-poo the old way of you know the passing the eye test and and all the intangible things. And now we're so numbers driven. But but the truth of the matter is that you know every every stat is both right and wrong and uh, and every 
uh, fan, voter, what have you, has their own tribe and they belong to their own church of, of metrics of you know how they how they view things and how they value things. Uh, and they like to think that it's hard and fast, but in, the truth is there there's as much of an, uh, an emotional component as there is a statistical one. And that's why uh, it has become so difficult to really see the end of this MVP race, uh, especially uh, since since we follow the Thunder and Russell Westbrook specifically uh, and how you know, Thunder fans think it's, it's got to be Westbrook. How could it be anybody else? Uh, because we look at the, the context, the history, all these things. But but we then we look at guys like Hawaii and Harden and and we say you know do we necessarily have to take away from what they did as well uh Kawhi did a, had a similar transition obviously not as dramatic but they they saw Tim Duncan retire their team is getting older and they still are really really good uh Harden took a team that many expected not to make the playoffs this year and they're the third best team in the league um and he established that as pretty quickly in the season, maybe a third of the way through the season, it was clear the Rockets were the third best team in the West. Uh, and 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 so we each have our own sense of, of what is the right number, what is the right set of numbers, how to how to pull for this thing. And but it's but it's a zero sum game for so many people, and it makes it really uncomfortable to to, to try and uh, cheer on your own your own player and follow your own MVP chase because it, it just feels like if you pick this guy or that guy everybody else is going to say oh well you clearly don't know what you're talking about because you've ignored all these other things instead of it sort of being a, a thermometer for each player and whichever one finishes a little bit ahead of the others is the deserving uh, candidate that's well said dude you know one thing you talk about numbers this series with Houston you got two guys who put up some gaudy numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Russell Westbrook. I, I stopped. I, I told on my post last week or two weeks ago when it was assured that he would average a triple double for the season. Yeah, I stop. I, I promised that I would stop referring to him as Urkel for the rest of the season, and, <laughs> and I and I and I did, and I kept that. That's Herculean what he pulled off. Now he was probably toward the bottom of my six. But that's for other reasons. I, I value defense mm-hmm. a lot. I have a high level of defense. I, I believe that the MVP should be the MVP. He should be the most valuable player, not the most valuable scorer. Because mm-hmm. I think they could have two awards. But that's neither here nor there. What we have are two guys who played on the same team together who put yeah. up these gaudy freaking numbers. And for Oklahoma City Thunder fans, these numbers mean... Kevin Durant, and this is an organization that's really good at this, has been erased from their memories. Yeah, it, it, it's so easy to analogize it to to a relationship that ends, you know, a dating relationship of some sort, um, where you think things are so right, and then suddenly they're so wrong, and uh, and you're just kind of left with all these pieces and memories and bitterness and anger and hate and all these things, and you wonder how am I ever going to to move ahead and uh and you know people have their favorite songs and their favorite movies and their favorite books and things like that that help them try to analogize how to how to understand it how to get through it and and that's to me that's that's what makes the the russell westbrook season most compelling not as an mvp candidate but just in terms of human nature is that he he took a franchise and he took a a fan base and a bunch of teammates who were completely lost in the sense of they didn't know what was going to happen. They thought he might even leave over the summer. And he put them on his back for an entire season, right or wrong, he did it. <laughs> and he, he did took it. on this he did he took on this massive workload. Uh he never complained. He never called Unless anybody it was out. The refs. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, he never complained about the situation because he chose the situation. Right. Um, he chose the hardship. He 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 didn't call out his teammates. He didn't make them feel bad in in the open in the open eye, and and he carried them. And and of course, you know, not all of it was was uh, roses. They they had some pretty uh, bleak moments during the season. But the fact that he was able to do that and transport the, the Thunder fan base from feeling lost to feeling excited and hopeful again that's probably the greatest thing that that a player could do um because otherwise all 
I mean, let's be honest. The, the, the likelihood of this season ending poorly for from a Thunder perspective is high. Oh yes. Uh, you know, I I mean the the likelihood, the the brutal likelihood of what's going to happen is that they'll probably lose in the first round, and the Warriors will probably win. That's the most likely scenario, you know, and we have to we have to to accept that and say, but it's okay because we have something that is still has promise and it still brings us joy and hope and things like that and uh and so we can move on and uh that's probably the the greatest thing that that westbrook was able to bring to this team and and and, and in a sense i feel like even if he doesn't win it, it doesn't it's not necessary to validate what he accomplished uh and so so if harden wins or Kawhi or something like that i think it's okay I and mean, people might be upset for a while but it doesn't take away from what westbrook accomplished not at all. I made sure in my column two weeks ago to say that too. You know, this yeah. got this is unbelievable what he was able to do, and the fact that he did it with a team that well, primarily D League players. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing. That this is really funny. After I say all those things, they went out and beat somebody. I can't. Oh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They beat without Westbrook, and Westbrook was over there cheering and laughing, and having a good time, being a leader, and that's a very good thing. But more importantly, I think you said it best. It allowed some closure, allowed for this team to move forward, this franchise to move forward. And yeah. like I said, they're very good at erasing their past and Kevin Durant, and they can thank Russell Westbrook for erasing Kevin Durant from their past. And you know something else? I was hoping that the Thunder would play Golden State because <laughs> I have this funny feeling. I said this on my show, this show and other places a couple weeks, all season really, is, is Kevin Durant is exactly who I told you all he was. And there's it, it no more proof positive than the way that the Golden State Warrior players treat Russell Westbrook. That means that Kevin Durant probably went back and said some things that he said to Durant, he being Russell Westbrook, in private, and he used that mm-hmm. against him because those guys are getting quite snippy for being the one who stole their girl. He stole yeah. Russell, They stole <laughs> Russell Westbrook's girl, and they're rubbing there's his nose in it. And he got the last laugh because he has had the best season probably ever. Probably ever. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and that's why it's, it's, it is bittersweet in a sense because the Warriors are the better team. Uh, I personally not the better would not people. enjoy – Yeah, I mean, I personally would not enjoy that series at all because I think I would give the Thunder like a 50% chance to win one game. Right. You know, the, the talent fair. discrepancy is just too great. It's just too great. And, and I can't overlook that. Um, it would it would be four four or five excruciating games for me to watch. Well, that's so, uh, from that standpoint, um, yeah, I hear you. But I would have liked to see Russell Yeah, I'm, I'm much more content. Cock him. Yeah, I'm, I'm much mm-hmm, – but I'm much more content with, with the Rockets because – you know, they, there is some saltiness because of, of the past. You know, first them getting James Harden and then the whole Patrick thing. Beverly Westbrook thing. Oh, um, yeah, that's another thing. We got all these little yeah. side stories. This is going to be a great series. Now, you say you go and give them a it chance against the Warriors. What, do you, what kind of chance do you give the Thunder against the Rockets? I think you mentioned game one. I think for this series, it's game two. Um, I... To be honest, based on the way I've seen the Thunder play playoff series over the past five years, I kind of expect them to get blown out in Game One, <laughs> okay. to to be down by like twenty five points at the at the end of the third quarter, kind of thing, uh, because they they tend to not start very quickly in playoff series. That said, they do have this really unusual ability to get smarter, to get stronger, to get more aggressive. And then to actually start assimilating their opponent's best traits. We've seen it against the Warriors. We saw it against the Spurs. We saw it against the Grizzlies, the Clippers, where they they started off looking completely lost. But by the end of the series, they were in total control of what was going on. And so they do have this weird characteristic when it comes to playoff series. And that's why I I do expect them to not come out well against the Rockets. And then Rockets fans will say the series is over. You know, Harden is clearly the best player in the league this year, et cetera. And then I could easily see the Thunder coming back and winning like a one possession game in game two. And, and then everything goes out the window and say, okay, the Thunder have something in store for this series that we did not expect. 
but I kind of expect it. So that's my prediction. That's a good prediction. You know, I make one too. If the over under is less than two hundred or two hundred and fifty or less, take the over because there's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of points being scored because you have two teams that aren't really that good at defensive teams. You know, yeah. Russell Westbrook for all the things that he did on the offensive end, he really didn't do well on the defensive end. It didn't appear anyway. His uncontested rebound rate was amazing, and his uh, uncontested shot rate was amazing. So, I mean, it is what it is, though. That's how they had to win. I told people that all season. The only way they're going to win, I said, that's a design by their coach. More than likely to keep his job, A, and B, to keep Russell Westbrook happy. Give him a chance to do what he can do. That was smart. You know, that's smart by Donovan, I think. But uh, Houston, though, Mike D'Antoni, I heard him say on Sirius a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, and they ended up shooting 56 threes that night. He said he'd hoped that they uh, one day would shoot 90 threes on that team, and he thinks that they would. I, I don't think they would have any hesitation to do it well, if I the opportunity presented itself. <laughs> so how do you combat against that? You just hope they miss. Well, here, here's the funny thing, is that in the last game where the, the Rockets blew out the Thunder, uh, they they hit like over 70% contested three-point shots in that game, specifically uh, Trevor Ariza and uh, Lou Williams hit, I think, a combined 12 for 15 from three-point range or something like that, and the majority of them, of them were contested, and so... It was a little bit of a statistical outlier, even though it looked really, really dominant. They were hitting some some highly contested shots. Uh, and that happens in the NBA from time to time because these guys are such good shooters. Right. Um, so, so they're definitely going to be taking those shots between uh, those two guys uh, along with Harden, um, you know, and some other guys will definitely get their shots up as well. Uh, I, I think they could definitely approach that, and they certainly have the mentality to do it. Uh, the question is, will the Thunder be able to defend the the, the, pick, the initial pick-and-roll action and then the side pick-and-roll action to uh, to slow down the interior game? And that's what we saw. That's what killed them in, in Game 4 is that it wasn't the three-point shooting. It's the fact that when, when the Thunder overcommitted to guarding the three-point shot, it completely blew open the side pick and roll defense, and and the Rockets were getting layup after layup right, uh, with guys that. like Nene and and Capella. Uh, they they shot a, a a crazy percentage at the rim, and so to to me that that's the bigger question. It's not can they can they defend the initial primary three point action? Is it's that can they recover in time to defend the secondary pick and roll action with the bigs and keep them away from the rim? To me, that's where their defense is going to either make or break. Man, that's a good point, too. They did get a little loose in their rim protection, and that that's rightly so. A lot of people say that Steven Adams has been a disappointment, but I don't think so. I, I think people had too high expectations of him, and I think it's unfair to do so. You know, He was playing in a, whole, a completely different thing last season. This is a guy who's only played three or four years, for goodness sakes. Give the guy a break. I thought he did fine this year. I, I thought he did what I expected him to do. I didn't expect him to be. A lot of people thought he was going to be this all NBA team guy. That's just not going to happen. He doesn't have the experience, but he's a big part of what the Thunder does. Uh, how has the pick and roll gone with him and Westbrook? Because uh, last season they were having a great time. Well, in the first third of the season, it, w- it was money because they were able able to, to catch a lot of defenses sleeping and that allowed Adams to get to the rim pretty consistently either all the way to the rim or within that five to eight uh, foot range where he could shoot his little push shot. Uh, as teams started to take away that action, Adams' effectiveness was reduced and that's where uh, I and a, and a number of, of uh, Welcome Loud City readers tended to get on Billy Donovan a little bit because it's for whatever reason it doesn't seem like Donovan is allowing Adams to turn and square up and shoot that 11 to 13 foot jump shot which is basically a free throw um and we know we we've seen his ability to actually make that shot we see it in practices he actually has a pretty comfortable jump shot from that range but he just never ever not once that I can remember was able to to catch the ball out of the pick and roll set and then just square up and shoot it. And it's it's really kind of baffling because defenses eventually caught on to it 
And they just gave it to him. He would just turn and there would be nobody within three to five feet of him. And he wasn't even looking to shoot the ball. And I think it really hurt their ability to space out the defense. Now, will that suddenly pop up in the postseason? Gosh, I would love it. It would make us so happy. But it's it's really weird how Donovan has treated Adams' uh, offensive game this season. Uh, because other than the, the main pick-and-roll offensive uh, set, uh, he would he would get some low low uh, low post touches, which he's not great at. Um, he doesn't really have a fadeaway. He doesn't have a, a spot up jumper. He's got he can shoot the hook from either hand, uh, but that's kind of the extent of it. So he's got a lot of room to grow. I, I think he is worth the investment that the Thunder have made in him, but uh, he, he's not to where he's not where he will be right now. He's still got a lot of room to grow. I would say check him out in two years and when he's got a more full offensive game, and then let's evaluate how good he is. Uh, but this year he was limited in, from Donovan and our perspective, and also he had some injuries as well, which slowed him down. From my perspective, most of your team has been limited by uh, Donovan, but that's another issue altogether. Um, I, I look, I'm looking forward. This is a series I'm really looking forward to, only because it's it's going to be a lot of fun to see if they'll actually play a little defense. I don't <laughs> think I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to. I think it's going to look a lot and resemble a lot like it did during the regular season, and, and that's a good thing. I think that I got Houston going ahead in this series. I think they're going to win in, in four uh, four games to two in six games. Okay. I, I think uh, I think it's going to be four two one way or the other. Uh, I, I can't okay. deny that the Rockets are the better team. I can't deny that. But you know, there's something funny about the Thunder when they get to the playoffs, and I think by game two we'll know whether they are contenders or not. That's fair enough. I think that's a great answer too. Um, let's see on Sunday. Another series, Golden State and Portland. Yeah. Damian Lillard says they're going to win in six. I love Damian Lillard. That's all I can say to that. <laughs> yeah, because that's great. You know what? Yeah, I'm sure Thunder fans probably are going to be rooting for Portland this series. I think so. And and really... Or it's rooting against Kevin Durant is what they Yeah, be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, last year, they surprised some people. And they had a little bit of a puncher's chance against the Warriors. This year... It really comes down to to the Bosnian beast. Uh, if um, if Josef Nurkic can, um, if he's healthy, if he can play, he could really, really mess up the Warriors. Oh yeah, uh, because oh yeah, because yeah, he's a load. I mean, he's massive. A he's big got, goo. Yeah. Um, now, could Draymond slow him down? He would. No. Prob- Draymond probably has enough defensive savvy to do some things. But if that series lasts at any point into like game six, uh, I, I think, wow, I think the, the the Warriors could find themselves in a little bit of trouble because uh, Nurkic, you know, he could he could t- completely crush them inside uh, if if he uh, if he's on his game now, which is a fair point. He this will be his first experience in the role, and the thun- and, and excuse me, the, the Trailblazers would need him to play at a high level. But if he can, if he can control the inside of that that paint, that really changes things because the because um, the Blazers do have the shooters to match up with the Warriors. Um, you know, obviously Clay Thompson, Steph Curry are the two best three point shooters in the game. But McCollum and Lillard, and then Crab coming off the bench, that's those are not bad second options there. Um, so, so while the Warriors still certainly are in, should be in control of that series, there are some pieces on the other side of the court that could really upend their their mission to get back to the finals. Well, I don't have them getting in the finals, so it's all good because they have Mister Unreliable on their team. Thunder fans <laughs> know all about Mister Unreliable. Yeah, we may have heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. Yes, they'll be high. They'll be hanging his jersey in the rafters, preferably with him in it. Um, if they haven't completely erased his history from their organization, which I think they will do at some point. But, you know, you bring up Nurkic. He's a big tub of goo. That's what I try to tell people. You know, that just goes to show you how good that other kid over there is, Nurkic. Not Nurkic, but uh, Dokic. Dokic. Yeah, He's the, the Joker, yeah. yeah. The, that's how good he is. Because they, at first, Denver had uh, Nurkic starting. And then Jokic came in and took care of the whole matter and mm-hmm. traded him away, which was interesting. But 
the thing that he does for Portland, this kid, is he doesn't go anywhere. He stays in the paint. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's big, not he's as strong, ex- physical, yeah. and, but but he can pass the ball. He's he's a like, really good oh, yeah. passer. Well, all the big guys from uh, overseas are good passers. That's why they get to play overseas. You know, yeah. you're looking at, and you're going to be seeing two guys who probably have played against each other internationally for quite a few years. Him and Zaza Pakulia going at it, and I guarantee you, he ain't going. Pakulia is not going to handle. This is his first time in the spotlight too, really. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this is going to be an interesting matchup, but I don't know if uh, if Nurkic is going to be even close to 100%. Broken legs are broken legs, you know. And yeah. they say, well, it's only the tibia. Well, whatever. It's still a broken leg, and the guy's still seven foot three or something. I think, though, I think it's all going to come down to Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. I don't have a lot of hope for C.J. McCollum. I'll tell you why. Because Clay Thompson is going to lock him down. You know, here's they talk about this small ball all the time, and they talk about the Warriors lineup of death. But look at Clay Thompson; is six seven, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about and Clay, what is Curry six three? Yeah, he's no, he's not tiny. These guys, this the backcourt, Damian Lillard is probably taller than McCollum. I mean, that tells you everything right there. I think they're going to lock these guys up. It's going to come down to. If C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard can take over and and back up their talk about being better than the Splash Brothers, I don't think they can. But then again, if Nurkic plays, maybe Nurkic helps them a little. But don't you think the pace is going to be a little too fast for him? I think that if if the if the Blazers endeavor to try and beat the Warriors at their own game, they probably lose four one. But yeah. if they try to reorient their offense to go through the paint and slow the game down and just give themselves a chance to win in the fourth quarter with Lillard and McCollum, then some interesting things could happen. That's a good point, too. You're right. It could be interesting, but I don't think it's going to be that interesting, to be honest. I don't have a whole lot of faith in the Portland Trail Blazers. You know, I feel like Zach Randolph when I talk about them now because I don't do anything Blazer-related like I used to, and the fans Mm -hmm. were pretty difficult towards me. So uh, you know what? Like Zach Randolph. So every time that they lose, I'm glad that they do. And I especially like beating their ass at home, you know, like Zach <laughs> Randolph does. But I think that Golden State wins this series four games to zero. Okay. I do. I, I, I disagree on that one. Now, we got a couple more games series beginning on Sunday. We have the Bulls in Boston. Yeah, I've been listening to a little bit of Boston radio. I work with some guys in the summertime who are Celtics fans, and one of them is in a Celtics employee who's on their TV cast and radio cast, the Red Mamba. Hello, Mamba. He's listening, I'm sure. Anyway, Boston. I would not be stunned if the Chicago Bulls knock Boston off in the first round. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, okay. I mean, I, said I, I, I don't. I wouldn't be stunned. I don't trust Boston yet as a playoff team because they haven't really overwhelmed me over the past couple of years. Um, I think they really need to knock off that Bulls team fast oh, because yes. they. I, I think they need to find a, a certain level of, of of confidence and and capacity for for dealing with high stress situations in the playoffs uh, because if they if they don't and you give guys like Butler and Wade a chance to to kind of chip away at things and erode their confidence I'm getting into in a major trouble uh, so so to me it's all about how quickly can they establish control over that series I don't think they're going to do it Plus, you know what bothers me, too, is they rate they, ESPN, which is, well, they are what they are. Sage mm-hmm. Steele got a vote, an NBA vote for MVP for hosting a 30-minute show they fired her from. Yeah, that I saw tells that. You, oh, well, that tells you what all that's about. My goodness. Anyway, how in the world do you have this coach, Brad Stevens, rated number three in the NBA, ahead of Rick Carlisle? How is that possible? 
Well, I'm, you know, it's it's similar to the to the MVP voting. It's about you know not necessarily the body of their work over their careers, but what they what they do this year. And hey, they won the East. You know, that's that's not nothing. Um, you know, I like him. I've liked him for for a while. I, he sort of set the the table for for Billy Donovan to come into the NBA, honestly. So um, I think he's he's done a, a a really solid job. Would I would I say he's one of the the coaches that I would take? In a in a coach draft, probably not. But uh, but in terms of what he's accomplished, I, I, I can't deny that he's had a lot of success there. Well, you know what though, the thing is, look at the drafts he he's got a lot of draft picks, lottery picks. And Isaiah Thomas is mm-hmm. playing great basketball, but they they blew it when they signed yeah. Al Horford. They blew it when they signed Horford, dude, because Horford is who he is. He's he wasn't a real leader in Atlanta. How is he a real leader in Boston? He's doing exactly what he did in Atlanta, disappearing in big games. Yeah, but do they need him to be a leader? I thought Thomas was their de facto leader now. Well, he's got a lot of years in the NBA. That is why they signed him. And he's paid to be a leader. (laughs) He's paid to be a lot of things that he's not. But that's neither here nor there. But he's made his sister famous, and that's pretty good. Even she goes (laughs) on the radio. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is that? <laughs> I mean, what is that? I mean, really, what is that? What happened to this media? This whole thing with media has turned into a freaking circus. I mean, seriously, you've got these networks that talk crap to established pros like they're doing you a favor. And, and, and I tell you, it's mm-hmm. all crazy. But here's the thing with Boston. They ain't got a go-to guy. They've got a guy who digs them out of holes in the fourth quarter. But this is the playoffs. Are those lanes going to yeah. be open for him? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, Chicago got some savvy old veterans on that team, including Dwayne Wade. Even though he's turned into a, he's turned into his wife, a gabble. <laughs> no, come on, come on now, come on now. I like his wife. <laughs> I don't like either. Well, I never even heard of her until he <laughs> married her. But all, all kidding aside, if I was. Uh, seriously, what happened with Dwayne Wade? Dwayne Wade's turned into a gabble gertie, and Rondo is seen as the is the rational one. And Rondo's got yeah, the ultimate opportunity for revenge in this series against Boston for trading him. Yeah, yeah, there there are some seeds of uh, of upset potential there, and that's why I think it's it's so critical for Boston to grab the control of the series fast because it could it could fall apart uh, really quickly. Real quickly, and Fred Hoiberg, he desperately. Here's the thing, though. Could could you see a scenario where the Bulls decide, you know what? Let's take a Pasadena and get our coach fired. It's happened. It happened to Mike Woodson in Atlanta. Remember when Josh Smith did that? Yeah. But I think these guys are more professional than that. I think they already got him fired. I think he's just riding out to storm over there. But I could see the Bulls toppling this team. And the other thing, too, is that Jay Crowder, keep an eye on this, folks, Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler do not like each other at all. This is going to be a very interesting, very physical series. And if it gets physical, I know they traded Taj Gibson away, but if it gets physical, I'll tell you right now, Chicago knocks off Boston in the first round. All right, book it. Book it. Oh, there you go. Okay, we got one more to go. You, you didn't I, want to go any further yeah. than that. I, I insulted your heroes. No, I, I, no, no, I can see the scenario. Absolutely, I can see it happening, yeah. I want it to happen. Are you kidding me? I like to be <laughs> right. Okay, here's a here's one that's going to be fun. Washington and the Hawks. That's going to be an interesting series because I had to give Scott Brooks props. In fact, I, I rated Scott Brooks higher than I rated Brad Stevens. In fact... I think that Scott Brooks could be the coach of the year, and I don't think I'm starting to come around to the line of thinking that maybe he wasn't the problem in Oklahoma City. Maybe the problem left on his own. <laughs> Why, whatever could you be referring to, Mr. I, I'm talking about, uh, yeah, of course, you know, but, but the Thunder fans are starting to love me again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they hate Kevin Durant, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well... To, to be fair, I think Scott Brooks was great for the franchise for the time he was there, but they stopped getting better underneath him uh, from 2014 on. 
So, um, you know, it's just the life of a professional coach in any sport, sure. really. It's you're, in any sport. You're, as soon as you're hired, as soon as you are hired, the clock is ticking for when you're going to get fired. Man, you ain't you lying, know, there, that's dude. The way I've it, done this for thirty years. I yeah. can tell you, wow. <laughs> you said a mouthful. Yeah, there, and it's dude. just, it's just the way it is, and that's why they're compensated the way they are because because of the nature of the game, and so and he's definitely not over how the Thunder got rid of him. He's definitely not because he's, he'll occasionally let a little bit of a saltiness come through and that's okay. You know, um, he, he felt like he could have done better and wasn't given a chance to. That's legit. Um, I am very happy for him that, that he's landed in DC. Uh, I've gotten a chance to see them up close a couple times. Um, and, and he's, he's building something that's a lot of fun. Uh, I think long term they're going to have to figure out whether the Polish hammer is is their post guy of of tomorrow. Yeah, he's getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, I think their interior defense is going to have to figure out some upgrades, but but their guard play from from Wall to Beal to Porter, I man, I like what they, when they hit top gear, they are a lot of fun to watch. Oh, um, yes. And so I'm, I'm I'm very happy for for the way Brooks has emerged as as a legit coach and that his his thunder experience is not simply seen as a byproduct of, of coaching superstars so uh so definitely good on him absolutely i'm very happy for him too otto porter he's probably put the most life into otto porter otto porter's mm-hmm. had a very good season this year and i and i'm happy for him too because he kind of struggled a little bit but then it's a different kind of offense now it's it, it's a structured offense it's John Wall, Bradley mm-hmm. Beal, and everybody else get what's yours. And the thing is, though, is that one thing Scott Brooks knows how to do is utilize small forwards, utilize that guy in the three spot. And he's learned how to do that. And, and Otto mm-hmm. Porter's really done well. I like what you said about Marcin Gortat, the Polish hammer. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell yeah. you what, though. He, he, him and Dwight Howard are going to go to war. But, I, but Dwight Howard's more <laughs> not like he's not really a warrior anymore. He's more like a guy who goes out and gets his, and the rest of the things happen. You know, the Atlanta Hawks are a schizophrenic team, but they're starting a freaking rookie. I was shocked. Torian yeah. Prince is starting over at the three because Bazemore's had a, just a horrific season. What yeah. do you think the chances are Atlanta beats Washington? I would say low. <laughs> um, low. There's just nothing about Atlanta that scares me. I, I would I would say very low. Um, I just don't see anything in Atlanta that really scares me. Um, you know, I don't see them as a team that can go on big runs. They don't seem to be a team that knows how to get locked down defense for stretches. Um, I, I, I don't think that the Wizards will win clean. I think they'll get a, have to get a little dirty in this series. But uh, but I, I really don't see a, a, a plausible scenario for the Hawks to come out of that one. Yeah, you know, I do an Atlanta Hawks show called the Peachtree Hoops Podcast with Chris Willis. This is a team that's really strange because, you know, you say they don't have a lockdown defense, but that was their calling card under Mike Budenholzer. That was their identity, Mm -hmm. that suffocating defense, especially in the fourth quarter or or third and fourth quarters. They would just suck the life out of you defensively. They would get steals, score in transition, and Kyle Corver would hit a couple threes. Maybe Horford get a couple layups. Paul Millsap would do his thing, and it would be on like a pot of neck bones. But that team isn't the same <laughs> now, and it really is strange. It's weird because, well, Dwight Howard's there. And I, I know Atlanta yeah. Hawks fans are getting tired of it, but something goes on wherever Dwight goes. Look at James Harden, how happy yeah. he is since Dwight Howard has left because he's just a big tub of goo. He clogs the middle, and you can't work around him. You know, he's out there to get his and nothing more, nothing less, and that's okay. I do give them a chance, not much, but a chance, because here's the thing. For all the talk about how good this Washington Wizards team is, they can also have stretches where they're not so good. And that backcourt, and primarily that backcourt, has to really go out and smash this team, which they can. I mean, John, Dennis Schroeder is never going to be confused with someone who plays defense. In fact, confused defensively is who Dennis Schroeder is. That's his calling card. He's a young kid still. (laughs) And Tim Hardaway Jr. is not exactly what I would call a defensive stalwart. He is no Tony Allen, let's face it. 
Kent Bazemore is not on the wing. Torian Prince is in his first playoff game as a rookie. He's only started a handful of games. I think Coach Budenholzer is looking at this as, okay, let me get this kid some more experience, see how he does, and then drop the hammer on a lot of these guys. And I think that's what's going to happen. But Paul Millsap is uh, – keep an eye on Paul Millsap in this series because he's also in a contract year. Now, he's probably going to get paid here regardless of how he performs. But he hasn't put up the numbers that a lot of people would have thought he would have done in Atlanta. And this is his time to really shine. And if he wants to get that max money that I'm sure he's going to get from somebody, this is where he's got to show he's worth it. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to. Um, because he's he's an undersized power forward. Oh, yeah, um, you know, an undersized, an undersized stretch forward. You know, in a, in a, a long playoff series, you can game plan out that kind of guy. You know he's not great at getting his own shot. I mean he's good at shoot, you know he's got a shoots high percentages, but he does need help generating his offense. And so uh, you can you can shut down a guy like that in a oh, playoff yes. series. Okay, now we've got a couple games going on today. A lot of these people, a lot of my listeners probably won't be hearing this until Sunday or even Monday for that matter. <laughs> we'll just do some briefly things. Um, Toronto at in the Bucks. I was really surprised that the Bucks made the playoffs, and after they really turned it on after Jabari Parker went out. That's because Giannis went down there and started playing the four, and he's let's face it, he's a little more flexible, durable, and more athletic than Jabari Parker, and they've been killing folks ever since. Do you give them a chance against the Toronto Raptors? I don't, but but I think they can take two games. Uh, and what I like about them is that they've really taken on the personality of their head coach, Justin Kidd. Um, well, you know, we think of Kidd as this adulterous. <laughs> well, just more irresponsible. Yeah, well, okay, that's that's sort of <laughs> uh, nasty. We'll call it nasty. Uh, we're so back to the a, we're a, back a to the Phil Mason show. show again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just I mean, Kid was was known as a virtuoso on you know in passing and everything, but he he had a mean streak too, and and oh, I yes. think that kind of nastiness filters down into them, and you need that in the playoffs. You have to have an edge to 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 believe that you can take out another team, even a team that's more talented. And while I I, I think the the Raptors backcourt will eventually do them in, it, it's not going to be easy. You know what I like about this series? I'll tell you who I like in this series is Jonas Valanciunas. I think that that kid is going to go off because Greg Monroe's not going to be able to hold him, and for whatever reason, Jason Kidd play his play. The way he plays John Henson is just strange. The way he plays his whole team is strange because then again, so was he when he played. Very strange. <laughs> he's got, but yeah. he's got a method. He's got a plan. So we'll give him that. And all those things about his personality being true, it is what it is. And I think Toronto and that other knucklehead Drake, who's that Drake guy, that wannabe rapper? Um, seriously, yeah. business? I, I think that I think this is going to go six games, like you said. I think Toronto wins this one. Memphis against the Spurs. This has been a good series in the regular uh. season. Yeah, sorry, Grizz. I, I see this as a sweep. <laughs> really? Take out the broom. Sherm has yeah. predicted the broom. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the Grizzlies had something early on in the season uh, oh. where it seemed like they had finally sort of transitioned into a more fluid, high-octane offense, and then Marcus Gasol could be Marcus Gasol, and Zebo was coming off the bench, and it made a lot of sense. But they really faltered over the course of the season uh i just I, I don't see enough to to do really much of anything against a, a spurs team that can match them inside um and they don't and and the grizz don't have anybody to, to slow down Kawhi. so i, I think it's probably going to be the least entertaining series it'll probably be a bunch of uh you know 90 to 85 kinds of scoring games but i, I think the spurs probably win this 4-0 or 4-1 that's a good call. You know, Tony Allen's going to be out for this series, too. That's their only hope of slowing down Kawhi Leonard. We, I was kind of hoping that he would come out at least put a, a chink in Kawhi's armor, 
but I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't know. I think Memphis manages one game, though. I think that could happen. Yeah, okay. I, I, I think so. I think they manage one game because they did play close this season. And the thing is, too, is that uh, Memphis took a lot of games off mentally. It was pretty obvious that they did. I think there's some internal things going on. Actually, I know there are, but I can't say out loud. But I have a good mm-hmm. idea what's going on there. So um, I think that that is a wash. Now, what we got is one more series, and then I'll let you go. And this has been so much fun as always, dude, always. I know I get you into trouble, but then again, I, I get my <laughs> lawyer on top of it, and they'll take care of it because he listens to the show, especially when he's – well, never mind. Anyway, uh, Clippers and the Jazz. <laughs> I do not like yeah. the Clippers. I, I We talked about them. We've been working together now five seasons, and you and I were the very first people – I remember Steve Perrin came on and was mad at us because he uh, we called his team a paper tiger – but I think that they are a paper tiger, and I got this funny feeling that Utah, being completely healthy for once, is going to take them out. Yeah, and you know, and as long as we've been calling them paper tigers, I've never seen a situation or a season or anything that makes me want to change my opinion of that. <laughs> no, I know exactly. You know, I mean, they they look so good on paper, and and going into the season, I thought that with the changes in the Warriors and the loss of sort of their interior defense and things like that, here was the perfect opportunity for the Clippers to come in and take away something with with Blake Griffin healthy, hopefully, and DeAndre Jordan and and having the shooters to be able to keep up. And then they went in for the, I think it was the first time they played against this season, and they were just awful, absolutely awful. Griffin was thoroughly outplayed by Draymond Green. And I was like, what was I thinking? This team is never going to be able to beat the, the Warriors again, <laughs> uh, as long as their, their current iterations hold. Um, and so I, I think that they go into this, you know, they have home court advantage, and they're supposed to be the better team. They certainly have more playoff experience. They have Chris Paul. And I think they're just going to come out tight. And and I think the Jazz are going to figure out a way to hang around and hang around. And while I still am not a true believer in Gordon Hayward's ability to close out games uh, and generate his own shot, their defense is so good. Uh, they'll take away the majority of what Griffin and and uh, Jordan are going to be able to do on the interior. And then it's just going to come down to how well uh, Redick and Paul and uh, and some of the other uh, uh, Austin Rivers, they shoot from, from three-point range. And I don't trust them as, as, a, as a long-term great three-point shooting team. And I think that pretty much is it. Uh, I, I see the Jazz winning this one. 4-3. I'll, I'll say that's a 4-3 in favor of the Jazz. Yeah, you know something? I, I don't need to throw some more salt in the wound, but uh, to be honest with you, the Clippers, they've adopted the personality of their uh, leader, Chris Paul. He, you never mm-hmm. see, he never seems to play relaxed no matter where you see him playing. He's not even relaxed in the commercials that he does. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's just really driven, whatever it is, but that team needs to relax. The other issue that that team has, Glendock Rivers. He's a terrible coach. Oh, well, I shouldn't say terrible. I should say overrated. I mean, let's face it. Everyone talks about him being such a defensive guru. That's a hogwash statement because I tell you who was the guru. It was Thibodeau in 2008. Mm-hmm. It wasn't him. Even the players know this. They'll go back to play with him because they know he's a player's coach. He loves his son. Yeah. But it is yeah, what it is. And, um, yeah. I think it's going to go in five. Okay. I think Rudy Go. I, I, think, I think Rudy Gobert has a field day against these bums. I think it goes seven simply because the Jazz are not a playoff-tested team yet. So well, it's not true. that I don't think they could win in five. I think they just haven't learned how to yet. Plus, they need. I, I think that they have some uh, lingering issues there. George Hill's got some health issues. I know Hood has some, and Derek Favors hasn't been in right all season. But that's okay too because Rudy Gobert is going to destroy that team, and I think that's fantastic. Just like I think, and no, working with you is always fantastic. Thank you so much for being here, dude. Thank you. I really appreciate your time.
Oh, my time. I appreciate your time. <laughs> That's J.A. Sherman. You can find him and his staff over at welcometoloudcity.com. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Until next time, y'all take care of yourselves. Be good. And most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I thank you.